All right, so what are all the different medications that we can use to lower cholesterol? So before you all get after me and say, oh my God, how can you use medications? Okay, just stop. Go back a few episodes. There's a podcast on 11 ways to lower your cholesterol naturally. If you want a summary of that, there's 11 of them, but generally lowering your, your or reducing your saturated fat intake is going to make the biggest difference out of all of those 11. But there is actually a podcast for you. So we will start kind of historically and work our way uh, backwards, right? So the very first set of medications that were ever discovered uh, for cholesterol lowering were probably bile acid sequestrants. Now, there have been a lot of different iterations of these, and bile acid sequestrants were the first uh, medications to come out. These were medications that would make you sort of dump more cholesterol through bile acid, or like they would they would bind your bile acids and make you dump them into your, um, or they would bind them in your intestines and make you excrete them fecally. It's kind of how they worked, and that would be how you would end up you would end up eliminating cholesterol, you know, by pooping it out, generally speaking. And that was one way that they reduced cholesterol. Now, they didn't reduce it a whole lot, but it was enough that there were that there was some benefits. And that was the very first class of medications. Um, later came phenofibrates, and there were different ones. There was gemfibrozil, there's a few others. They were harder, then the bile acid sequestrants were a little bit harder to tolerate because they're they had to be taken so many times. There were huge doses. You know, they had to be taken multiple times throughout the day, etc. Sort of similar with the original first few fibrates. Um, they had to be taken multiple times a day, and they were large pills and what have you. So we didn't really, and we'll get into fibrates a little bit more later on, but the very first medications that actually came out that actually worked and caused a significant lowering of your cholesterol, and we'll get into a little bit maybe how to decide which one is correct for your patient. But for the, the first class of medications that came out that was fantastic, actually really lowered cholesterol, were statin medications. Now, these were naturally occurring substances. They were part of a yeast or part of mold. It was a, uh, a fungal derivative. The original part of it was called monocalin K. And it is found, obviously, in things like red yeast rice. Now, it's not allowed, red yeast rice is not allowed to contain it anymore because it's a controlled substance now, it's lovastatin. But generally, lovastatin was the very first statin. You eventually ended up with pravastatin and simvastatin, which were all the original kind of like yeast derivatives. They're also the three least potent uh, of the statins. The most potent out of those three would be simvastatin. The problem with simvastatin is that higher doses or anything above about 20 just interferes with too many things, causes the most amount of side effects, the least amount of tolerability, that's kind of when we discovered the whole muscle aches thing is kind of simvastatin. Simvastatin by far caused the most amount of muscle aches of all of these statins. Later, we had the more semi-synthetic ones. This is a torvastatin, which is Lipitor. Um, there's also Crestor or Rosuvastatin. And those, the first one came to the market in uh, 1987. Um, they were first discovered in 1972 but as you know, it takes like 5 to 10, maybe 15 years of lots of research and studies to prove that they're safe, that they're effective, that they do what they're supposed to do. So people a lot of times are like, I don't want to try the first medication ever that comes out. It's been in study and in 
trials for 15 years. So you're not an experimental pig. Don't worry about it. We know what these drugs do, and they've been studied five to 10 years, sometimes more, before they even hit the market. So statins were the first drugs, right? The most potent statin right now is rosuvastatin or Crestor. You could argue that Pitavastatin maybe is more potent, milligram for milligram, but those are probably the top two, rosuvastatin and Pitavastatin. Pitavastatin is the only one that is not generic. It goes by the brand name Livalo. Uh, really, that's what it's called, Liv Allo, A-L-O, my last name, Dr. Allo. Um, kind of interesting. But definitely, um, statins contributed tremendously to the declines in death rates from heart disease. We used to have about 90% of people in the United States, this is like in the 1960s, in the United States, somewhere around 90% of people died of heart disease. You know, smoking, World War II, etc., all of that. Um, in the 1960s, we since the 1960s, we've had a 70% decline in cardiovascular mortality, another 22% decline in cardiovascular mortality from 1990 to 2013, and another 10% just in the last 10 years from 2013 to now. So, the reduction in death rates from cardiovascular disease has been really, really substantial, and you could owe a lot of it to statin medications. Um, so a lot of people are asking the question, is heart disease still the number one killer? If you guys are so good, how come it's not working? It is working. It's actually working really, really well. Um, heart disease is not as deadly as it used to be, and there's almost like a 70 to 80% decline overall maybe uh, in the number of deaths from statin medications. So how do statins work? They reduce overall cholesterol synthesis as well as upregulate your LDL receptors in the liver. So not only does it block overall cholesterol synthesis in your body, um, your liver, your tissues, your cells, kind of everywhere, it also upregulates the, the receptors that are supposed to clear LDL particles out of circulation. So it works really, really well there. Now, if you want like pictures and how this stuff actually all goes down, I highly recommend you get my new cholesterol book. And I'm not here trying to push the book at all. It's not even out yet. But it's, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, the diagrams, the pictures, like all of these stuff I just told you about the decline in uh, death rates from heart disease is all on there with pictures and graphs and charts and all that. Um, so I highly recommend you get the book. If you go to dralo.net slash cholesterol, that's dralo.net slash cholesterol, you can sign up to know when that book is coming out. But it's going to be beautiful and gorgeous. It's just in the last few phases of uh, editing. Um, so there's that. So highly recommend grabbing that. Um, so the next question is, well, you know, so so how, what statins are available right now? There's seven of them. There's Pitavastatin, you can argue is the most potent, then Rosuvastatin, which is Crestor. And I, like I said, Pitavastatin is Levalo. Funny that the most potent statin ends in Allo. <laughs> then you have Atorvastatin, which was Lipitor, Simvastatin, which was Zocor, Pravastatin, which I believe was Provacol or Pravacol way before my time, Lovastatin, which was Mevacor, and Fluvastatin, um, which just goes by the name Fluvastatin. It's only available in one dose, and it's Fluvastatin ER, 80 milligrams. This one is quite unique because it does not get absorbed anywhere. It kind of stays in your bloodstream and helps you get rid of cholesterol from your bloodstream. So a lot of times people that have side effects from statins will try Fluvastatin on them. Uh, but you can also switch things around, you know, uh, differently. If you have renal issues or kidney issues, we usually recommend atorvastatin, fluvastatin, pravastatin, and simvastatin because those are generally not renally cleared. If you have liver disease like cirrhotic liver or anything like that, we usually will recommend rosuvastatin, 
which is Crestor or Pravastatin. Those are generally not meta metabolized by the liver. And if you're on a lot of drugs that are, you know, metabolized through the liver, that might be the better option uh, anyways. So highly recommend um, that. And all of this stuff I go through in my book if you want to uh, actually read it. So the next question becomes, do statins cause diabetes? So it's complicated. I don't want to get into it that much here. Um, it is a deep dive in my cholesterol book about statins and diabetes and statins and dementia and all that. There is a small risk of worsening your diabetes. Remember, if you've listened to me before, diabetes is a genetic disorder. You either have it or you don't. If you have the genetics for it and you're pre-diabetic, if you are put on statins, there's a 7% slight increase, a 7% increase of maybe being started on uh, diabetes medications. But that's just because a pre-diabetic got pushed slightly over to the diabetic range. It's not a huge difference. In the Jupiter trial, for example, the average hemoglobin A1C went from 5.8% to 5.9%. If you're diabetic and you know what that even is, it's like minimal. But the amount of improvement in cardiovascular outcomes and the amount of benefit that diabetics receive from being on a statin is just tremendous. Um, we know that you end up with a you know, anywhere from 28 up to 60% reduction in almost everything, whether you want to look at MACE events, you know, major adverse cardiac events like heart attacks, strokes, non-fatal heart attacks, non-fatal strokes, death from cardiovascular disease, death from strokes, you know, all that kind of stuff, all-cause mortality, mortality in general, all of that is reduced by statins. So a slight maybe uptick in uh, diabetes, but a huge, huge benefit overall. And diabetics are at the highest risk because they have insulin resistance. If you don't get their ApoB down and their LDL cholesterol down, they're going to have a cardiovascular event without question. It's just a matter of when and how long and you know what's your risk tolerance. So the next question becomes statins and dementia. Now, this is also complicated and I've dedicated an entire chapter of my new cholesterol book to it. In general, statins have not been shown to worsen dementia or cognitive function. There have been some recent large meta-analyses on these. Now, the most common form of dementia is Alzheimer's. There's also microvascular dementia. There's Parkinson's. There's all kinds. And they can still exist. Both forms of dementia can exist in the person at the same time. The other point is there are no ApoB-containing lipoproteins in your brain. Your brain makes its own cholesterol. In fact, the brain makes the most amount of cholesterol of any organ in your body, it does not need excess cholesterol. None of the lipoproteins carrying cholesterol in your bloodstream are crossing the blood-brain barrier to get into your brain. It's a very deep uh, discussion, and I'm not going to go into the details of it because I feel like it's a lot deeper than time will allow. We're already like 11 minutes in. Um, we used to think that certain statin medications that were lipo lipophilic versus hydrophilic versus not the lipofacility of a statin made a difference in how well it crossed into your brain and how much affected your brain. Turns out that doesn't matter. All statin medications seem to be able to downregulate cholesterol synthesis um, in the brain. So that does not seem to be an issue. The question is like, how much do you want to reduce synthesis? And, you know, can you measure uh, different, you know, ways of telling if your brain is synthesizing cholesterol or not? You know, that's that's a deeper topic. And we're, we're probably not going to get uh, that deep into it. But the vast majority of studies show maybe a little bit of an uptick here, maybe a little bit there. 
but generally mild cognitive decline, dementia, those kind of things were not worsened by stents, and in some studies actually showed that it improved. Um, your mileage may vary. I don't know that we're going to have a final answer on this uh, for a while. Um, we do know that 99% of the lipoproteins in your brain are actually HDL particles, not LDL particles. And all of them have an APOE lipoprotein. Again, we're probably getting too deep into the uh, woodworks here. So are statins good medications? Yes, absolutely. The they absolutely every study and I and I did a debate with Carnivore MD and I've listened to a bunch of his debates. So whether whatever side of the debate you're on, even Carnivore MD himself has stated in multiple of his podcasts with various people that it doesn't matter however you measure any study that's ever been done on statin medications has shown a benefit, has shown a decline in cardiovascular death rates, cardiovascular event rates, and all that. But what about all-cause mortality? Now, like I've said in other, in other po podcasts, trying to power for all-cause mortality or looking at all-cause mortality when you're determining a uh, cardiovascular medical therapeutic is not always the brightest thing in the world, but they do reduce all-cause mortality, and I go through that entire section in my book, um, there's been a significant decrease in all-cause mortality from statin medications. So all-cause mortality, if you don't know, is like, well, let's not look at just cardiovascular outcomes. Does it reduce the death rates from cancer, injuries, falls, gunshot wounds, basically all comers? It's kind of insane that people would be asking this question, but they have demonstrated that people on statin medications do reduce all-cause uh, mortality. So what about the elderly? There's a lot of a lot of nonsense about, well, if you're over 65, then you shouldn't be on a statin. Well, no, this is actually not true. And I go through all the data in my book. Anybody over the age of, you know, I mean, if you if you read my book and you don't come away with the conclusion that we should have people's LDLs lower starting in their teenage years, and I'm not talking about like with medications, but the lower, the sooner, the faster, the more aggressively, the less likely you are to have atherosclerosis and heart attacks and strokes by the time you're in your 50s and 60s. So why we usually wait till somebody's about 40 before we actually put them on medications, but by then they've had lifelong high exposure, 40 years of high LDL, and the longer you're exposed to LDL that is high, the worse the outcomes, and the harder it is to reverse it at that point. So yeah, absolutely. Even if you start later in life, age 50, 60, 70, you still have a significant decrease in cardiovascular deaths and uh, mortality. So let me um, just give you an example here. So for example, if you were to start a lipid lowering, I'm just going to read you a chapter out of my book. If you were to start on lipid lowering therapy at age 60, you would have a 27% reduction in MACE, major adverse cardiovascular events, heart attacks, strokes, etc. If you were to start at age 50, you would have a 35% reduction. If you were to start at age 30, you would have a 52% reduction. What's the kicker? These people in this study all started with an average LDL cholesterol of 67 milligrams per deciliter. So they were at 67 and they were put into this study. And it turns out if you were 60 and started, you had a 27% reduction. If you're 50 and started, you had a 35% reduction. If you were 30 and started, you had a 52% reduction on an already low LDL cholesterol. So that tells you about everything you really need to know uh, from a just scientific standpoint. Also, we've found in almost all the studies, especially for the elderly though, that for each one millimole reduction 
in LDL cholesterol, which is 38.6. So for every 40 points that it drops, like if your LDL is 140 and it drops to 100, you have a 23% reduction in major adverse cardiovascular events, especially in the elderly, but also for those who are younger. Obviously, the younger you start, uh, the better. And then I go through a ton more medic statin studies, 16% reduction here, 7% reduction there. The number needed to treat for statin medications turned out to be 7 for every seven people you place on a statin, you reduce one death, which is pretty fantastic. Next, we get into the fibrates. And this is these were medications the, that were discovered basically in 1958 from plant hormones. Um, that's how we discovered it. So like I said, in, my, in a lot of my podcasts, I always talk about how nearly every cardiac medication started in nature somewhere. We find a molecule that seems to work. We test it out and go through 5, 10, 15 years of studies. Turns out it works. We create a medication. We do an outcome study. It reduces death rates. It reduces strokes, heart attacks, whatever, cancer, whatever it might be. And we're like, okay, this stuff works. It's it's good. Let's um, m you know make this molecule into a medication. So fibrates generally work by reducing triglyceride levels. Um, there's a multitude of mechanisms. I don't know that we know exactly, but they inhibit hepatic extraction of free fatty acids, which reduces hepatic triglyceride production they reduce the liver's ability to synthesize triglycerides. Um, there are other ways that it works as well and other metrics that it can affect, not just triglycerides. It can lower LDL uh, and, and total cholesterol marginally by increasing the endothelial lipoprotein lipase activity, which we get deeper into that in the book. Um, the other thing to note is don't forget, if somebody has really high triglycerides, their LDL cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, total cholesterol, all of that is lower because the lipoproteins cannot fit as much cholesterol. They're full of triglycerides, right? And I think we got into that in the last uh, podcast. Um, but definitely when you have more triglycerides, you have less space for cholesterol. Um, so you'll need more total particles to get the cholesterol around. The more particles you have, the more atherogenic things become. So that is the problem. So fibrates really should not be added on unless you've maximized everything else. They're on a statin, they're on Zetia, they're on a PCSK9, they're on everything. If their triglycerides are still high, they need to be on a fibrate. So it's a very niche product and should not be used for no reason. Unfortunately, I see way too many primary care providers just put people on fibrates and they're just on them forever just because their triglycerides are high. But like, you know, they're diabetic and you're not really treating their diabetes. That's the problem. Get their diabetes under control. I can guarantee you everything else will uh, get better. So that's that. So lots of studies have come out on fibrates. I kind of go through all of them, showing the percentage reductions in this and the you know reductions in that and all of those things. Um, fantastic class of medications, but only if they are used correctly and in the correct scenarios. And maybe we'll go through some scenarios later. Maybe I'll do a podcast on different scenarios and different people who need to be on statins and medications or whatever. Um, next is a medication called Zetia. This is a medication that blocks cholesterol absorption. It kind of, let's say, sits in your stomach. Um, it interferes with the, uh, what's it called, the Neiman-Pixie-like one. Neiman-Pixie-one-like one. Neiman-Pixie, we call it Neiman-Pixie protein. Um, that is in your intestinal cells, which help absorb cholesterol back into the body. So it blocks that or interferes with it so that cholesterol stays in your intestines. And if it stays in your intestines, it will be fecally excreted. 
basically you will poop it out. So generally speaking, most people should probably be started on a low to moderate dose statin, like let's say Crestor 10 to 20, or even like 5, 10, 20, sort of, or, or Lipitor, um, let's say 10, 20, or 40, and Zetia 10. Zetia only comes in one dose, it's just 10. If you put most people on like Crestor 10, Zetia 10, you get the most bang for your buck. You can always increase the uh, Crestor to 20 if needed, and in some cases 40. But the vast majority of people, if you're a primary care provider and they've never had coronary artery disease, they've never had heart attack, never had a stroke, you're just preventing primary prevention, probably Crestor 10, Zetia 10, call it a day, most people will be at goal. So that's where you want to go. The nice thing about these medications that I've discussed, the fibrates, the Zetia, and the statins, is they're all still pills. You are taking pills at this time, which is really, really nice. Um, so as of the publication of this this uh, podcast, these are the only pills we have. There are some pills of these other classes coming out, and we're going to not talk about it now. Um, so that's where Zedia kind of works. There was the SHARP trial, the Improve It trial, multiple other trials and endpoints showed a 24% reduction in heart attacks, 39% reduction in stroke by just adding Zedia on top of you know whatever statin uh, they were on. The next medication is also a pill, and this is called uh, bempedoic acid, or Nexlatol. Bempedoic acid is one of the newer medications. This is interesting because it, all, it blocks cholesterol synthesis in the liver as well, sort of like statins kind of do, although they work everywhere. But this one blocks li- liver synthesis of, stat- of uh, cholesterol only. It does not function in your other tissues. So it does not go to your muscle or your other areas and function there. It only functions in the liver, and it works about two steps higher than statins. So statins work on the HMG-CoA reductase protein, or, you know, enzyme, and nexothal bempedoic acid works a couple steps before that, but it's very specific to the liver. So it's only really blocking uh, cholesterol synthesis in the liver, which is nice. So if you're worried about well, I don't want to reduce my cholesterol everywhere. You, you don't. This one just lowers it in the liver. The Clear Outcomes trial had just been released earlier this year at the uh, was it the American Heart Association, the uh, American Heart Association conference uh, back in April, um, and it showed a thirteen percent relative risk in major adverse cardiovascular events, and it also reduced CRP, which is uh, a uh, inflammatory marker. You'll find that almost anything that reduces ApoB reduces inflammatory markers because LDL cholesterol, the LDL lipoprotein, is pro-inflammatory. So almost anything that reduces that will uh, reduce inflammation uh, as well. It does come also in a combination with Zetia called Nexlazet. So by itself, it's Nexlatol. With Zetia, it's Nexlazet. Um, the problem with this medication right now is it's not generic. It's kind of hard to get. Your insurance won't pay for it. You have to demonstrate that the patient failed or couldn't take a lot of other things, and then you can get on this medication. Um, the next class of medications, these this is where we start the injections. Now, there are going to be some pill versions of some of these later, but right now these are these are as of the publication of this broadcast, these are only injections. These are called the PCSK9 inhibitors. So what is a PCSK9? It is a gene. The real name for it is proprotein convertase subtilicillin, if I'm saying that correctly, kexin type 9 inhibitors. So again, it is proprotein 
convertase subtilisin kexin type 9 inhibitor, PCSK9 inhibitor. So what does a PCSK9 do? When you inhibit this enzyme, uh, what happens is, is the LDL receptors do not die. Normally, well, not die, but they don't get recycled. Normally, there's an LDL receptor on the outside of your liver, facing the plasma, facing circulation. It extracts LDL particles. It's like a big hand grabbing particles out of circulation. What happens when it grabs them is it goes inside the cell and then gets destroyed. PCSK9, when you block that, it makes it so that the LDL receptor is not destroyed. It comes inside, dumps the cholesterol, and then goes back outside or dumps the lipoproteins, goes back outside and, and facing circulation again and grabs more cholesterol or lipoproteins. So that's what happens when you have an LDL. Uh, it blocks the, the it blocks the liver's ability to destroy its LDL so that it stays in circulation and keeps doing its job. It's kind of what it does. And it does a fantastic job of that. There's two of them. There's Rapatha and Prowulent. They both do a uh, pretty good job of keeping the LDL, LDL receptors out there to do their job. That's how it works, and it does a fantastic job. Now, there is a future where they're coming out with an oral version of this, um, and there is a version of it. Rapatha has one that's a once a month. These are once every two weeks, so you inject yourself on the first day of the month and on the 15th day of the month. Rapatha does have one that's a little bit trickier to use. It's a uh, once a month injection. You put this sticker on, and this auto injector kind of goes into your skin and slowly infuses it over 10 minutes, and it's a little bit um, difficult. But the every other week injection works uh, very well. So there is one other PCSK9 inhibitor called Lecvio or Enclycerin. This is a basically every six-month injection. The first month, you inject yourself, then you do it again on the third month, and then after that, it's just every six months. And it works really, really well. It's It was invented in 2020. It's another PCSK9 inhibitor, but it works by something called short-interfering RNA. It kind of goes into your liver and alters the genes a little bit from the RNA part of it, which makes it so that your liver doesn't make PCSK9 anymore. The way we discovered PCSK9 inhibitors is we found people with a PCSK9 loss of function gene mutation. These people were living to 100 years old and they all had LDL cholesterols of like 10, 15, 20 at the most. And we're like, you know, what's going on here? How do these people have such low, low LDLs and they're fine, you know, and they're living to over 100 years or 100 years old. Too many of them are getting to 90, 80, 100, you know, 110. And they're, they look fantastic. What is going on here? That's how we discovered the PCSK9 loss of function mutation and then eventually these medications that do that. So those are the three injectables. Two of them are every two weeks, and one of them is ends up basically being every six months. There is a type of enclycerin sort of model or medication that's going to end up being maybe once every 18 months, maybe once in a lifetime, maybe once, you know, every 24 months, et cetera, those are all in the works because now we have this technology called short interfering RNA or siRNA. People call it silencing uh, RNA, whatever it is. It can get into your genes sort of in your liver, your DNA or RNA, whatever it is, and tell it to stop making PCSK9. So those are kind of your options. So the question is now like, how do you treat patients with high cholesterol? So you start out with a statin. For me personally, I usually... You know, depending, most of my patients are already cardiac patients, but let's say you have a 25 year old healthy patient, LDL cholesterol is 105. 
They've tried the diet and the exercise and all that stuff and really hasn't changed. They got to 95. They don't want to be 95. You know, they want to prevent cardiology. They want to be aggressive about it. They don't want to be my patient in 20 years, right? That's the thing. Most of my patients say to me, I wish I would have met you 40 years ago. Well, here's 40 years ago. You're 25 now. This is your chance. So if they're like 105, 110, 95, 90, I'd probably start them on Crestor 5 and Zetia 10 and just see where they land. I can bet with that combination, they'll end up in the 60 to 70 range uh, in their LDL uh, in milligrams per deciliter. And if that's fine, you could probably just leave it there. If you want to go a little more aggressive and get into the 50s and 60s, you could probably go to like Crestor 10 or even 20 and leave the Zetia as is and they'll be fine. Now, if the patient has coronary artery disease, they're coming to me, so don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. But we generally want their LDL cholesterols under 55. That's where you start like at a moderate dose, like a Crestor 20 and a Zetia 10. Knock them down pretty low. Um, we would check lipoprotein A's and B's and you know all kinds of stuff to make sure we're not missing anything. Like, why did this patient end up with a heart attack or a stroke? Are we missing anything? Do we need to notify their first degree relatives that they have a lipoprotein A problem? Anything like that familial hypercholesterolemia, et cetera, um, those are the ones that you want to be you know, more aggressive with. But generally speaking, 20-year-old, 30-year-old, just on the borderline, just below the, the normal cutoffs, just above the normal cutoffs, you want to get aggressive. You don't want these people to end up being your patients later, having strokes or heart attacks. Check all the usual stuff, the ApoB, the lipoprotein A, fasting lipids. Um, if you want to check a lipoprotein IR you know, for insulin resistance, you could definitely do that. But that's where you start. Let's say you have one of these nightmare patients that has uh, familial hypercholesterolemia, LDL cholesterol is 225. They're not eating a crazy diet. They're 225. What do you do there? That's when you start with the Crestor 40. He's at a 10, and you see what happens. Let's say they drop to 110. Still not low enough, right? Uh, you add Rapatha. That should drop them into the 70s, probably. Um, and then you could leave them there. Now, if it drops them really, really low and they get into the 50s and 60s, that's great because they've been really high for a very long time. If that's not enough and they're still high, that's when you would add bempidoic acid. You can add bempidoic acid. On top of this, get another 15, 20% reduction. Should drop them into the 40s, maybe 50s, and you could probably leave them there. So that's kind of my approach to medications. Now, if somebody has a cholesterol that's a bit elevated, you put them on Crestor 20, Zetia 10, triglycerides are, you know, like 140, 150. That's not bad. Assuming you've already treated their diabetes, you've treated everything else, that's where you could add in like a phenofibrate, like Tricor or Trilipix. Um, or you could just intensify the diabetes, uh, medic, you know, medical treatment because most of these people generally are diabetics that are just not treated down enough. Um, metformins, ozempic, etc. Weight loss, you know, ozempic is great for weight loss as well. Phentermine, diethylpropion, all the weight loss medications. Um, you could do that. So that's kind of my approach. If you like this podcast and you want more of it, I will never run any ads on here. I appreciate you guys leaving awesome five-star reviews. Um, and that's how more people are going to hear about it. Just leave some awesome reviews and I appreciate it. And uh, please share it with all of your friends. And I will catch you in the next episode. Peace.